Welcome to the next episode of PI Perspectives. Matt is joined today by Dr. Chelsea Benz. Chelsea is a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, an author and immediate past president of New York Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Today, we look at Chelsea's career. Matt looks at how she was able to put together some great educational books for investigators and how she put together 10 training conferences. This episode is brought to you by Satellite Investigations, New York's leading investigation company since 2005. Check out SatellitePI.com for more details. Now let's catch up with Matt and Chelsea. Here's our host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome to the next episode of PI Perspectives. We are talking today with Dr. Chelsea Bins. Chelsea is an assistant professor at John Jay College, a certified fraud examiner and a private investigator, and just an all-around good person. So thank you, Chelsea, for being here today. You too, Matt. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Thanks for being here. So we, um, you know, obviously I just laid a little bit of a foundation, but tell me a little bit about your background. How how did you end up becoming a professor and uh, what was your journey to get there? Well, you know, I started out as an investigator for the city and the state of New York and then transitioned over to the financial industry where I worked in investigations um, for several years. And during that time, actually, that I worked um, in the financial industry, I was getting my Ph.D. part time at night um, in teaching classes at night. Uh, So it was a hectic and wild and crazy uh, seven years. And then I finally graduated. Um, in 2014, so somewhat more recently, and I then transitioned over to become a full-time college professor. Right, um, right. And, and I called you assistant, but you're actually a professor, so let's be very clear about that, right? So, uh, <laughs> and you have a, you have a doctorate too, right? You're you're a doctor. It's just of, a formal uh, title, that's right? All. Yeah. Who's keeping score here? Um, <laughs> so uh, you're a doctor of criminal justice too, right? Yes. Yes, and I got my PhD um, from my alma mater, where I now teach today at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Right, and that's how you and I met, actually. Um, You have been instrumental over the years in helping me with uh, Aldenese, the Associated Licensed Detectives in New York State. Uh, We did uh, some seminars there. I think I met you through the Society of Professional Investigators as well. You um, introduced me to a bunch of people at John Jay, and it got me some opportunities to actually come in and teach, too, which was cool, you know, because I'm... graduate from John Jay too. So being able to to go back, yeah, being able to go back and and teach at the school you graduated at is is pretty cool. So I've done it a few times and, uh, you know, it's hard to say no when they ask you, even if it's not like your specific topic, I'm like, yeah, I think I could come up with something. So it was, uh, it was crazy. I know the, uh, one of the ones I I talked um, about, I was doing geotagging, geofencing, and it was literally like the day after the Orlando, um, the Florida shooting with the, the teen at the school. And, uh, I had to change my whole slide presentation. (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm going to be up late tonight because (laughs) there's just too much information here. So yeah, it was interesting. It was a good uh, presentation. Okay. So it's been amazing for me going back and teaching um, at my alma mater. It's just such an incredible experience. And I just love the students. Uh, they're just amazing people and it's such a great experience. Right. And what, what are the subjects that you teach over there? So I teach in the security fire and emergency management. Uh, department, primarily in the security management major okay. um, that we have. So, so yeah, I've um, taught some courses in investigations and security. Uh, right now, I've been teaching a class that's been very popular um, in security and safety in the financial industry. Okay. Um, hence, 
my background expertise. Right. So it's the perfect class for me. Um, right. And that's been very, very popular. And also I do teach the senior thesis quite a bit. So I guide our students that are in their um, final semesters at John Jay in, in doing their final uh, research project. Right. And I, I know you even uh, look out for your students, too. I think I've, I got an email or a phone call over the years of like, hey, do you looking for anybody? Uh, this person's graduating. They're, they're pretty sharp. So. Oh, well, you know, that's, I'm very, very passionate about finding jobs for students um, because I just, from my experience um, in the public and private sector, which I had such a great working experience, and it always, you know, pains me to hear that some people don't enjoy their job because I've always loved every minute of all of my jobs. Um, So I always want to help students find a great career that they love. Um, And, you know, because of their background and experience with John Jay and you know, of course, under my tutelage, many have ended up in the financial industry and, and government investigations um, and investigations in general. And it's just so exciting to watch them them flourish um, after receiving their education. Right. And I know if uh, anyone follows you on LinkedIn or they're connected with you on LinkedIn, you're constantly posting job updates for like, uh, state jobs and city jobs. It's uh, always something out there and you're, you're, you're getting the word out for folks that their uh, positions available. I am, and I'm glad that you've noticed it. And I've actually, you know, I'm inspired because I've had students tell me that have connected to me on LinkedIn that they found the perfect job uh, because uh, they had noticed something that I had tagged or that I had, you know, uh, forwarded it to my followers. And, you know, I've had a few students tell me and thank me for that. So it's really inspired me to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely went back to John Jay a lot to hire employees. There have been a lot of people that have worked for me that have been John Jay graduates. It was almost like a mandate for me at one point. It's like when I was looking for an entry level person, I'm like, did you go to John Jay? <laughs> it was like the first question that I would ask. Uh, yes. So well, we are an amazing school. And then yeah. and specifically in my department, you know, we have um, so many of our faculty have uh, worked in the areas that we teach. Um, in addition to having our PhD and in addition to having a strong academic background. Um, so we really have a lot to offer to our students. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on here from John Jay. I think they've gotten enough good PR from us. Uh, <laughs> what what they, uh, they do deserve it. So, what brought you to the idea of like I want to be a private investigator? How did you get to that point? Well, you know, I think it was just a natural progression, basically, from the work that I was doing. Um, you know, I had worked in investigations again in the government sector and in the private sector for so many years, and even though now I was planning to work in academia, you know, I still wanted to professionalize my background um, and becoming a PI to me really signifies that, that you are a professional investigator um, and to continue hopefully to do investigative work um, in the future. Uh, and I have had the opportunity to do a little bit of that, although lately I've done a little bit less because I've been doing a lot of writing work, as you know. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that in a little bit. <laughs> we're not yes. ready for that yet. So what the heck is a certified fraud examiner? <laughs> so a certified fraud examiner is, you know, similar to a PI, a professional, um, you know, individual that uh, is focused on fighting fraud. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of training that goes on. There's a very big exam uh, that we all take uh, and over 400 questions in that exam. And we also, to certify, have experience level of several years on top of that. Uh, so someone that's a certified fraud examiner has undergone you know, quite a bit of education and training. And there's so much continuing education that goes along with it as well. 
Um, so we do 20 hours of CPE or um, professional continuing education per year. Right. And so we're constantly exposed to, you know, the latest tools, techniques, um, themes that people are doing. And it really does keep us current and relevant in the field. That's, that's great. I know um, I, I am a, an affiliate member of the uh, New York chapter and I like going to your events. I don't get any credit for them because I don't need the credit for it, but I like going because it's a good networking event. And I've met people that I've actually done business with um, at, uh, at the event. So you were the, the president of the New York chapter for a while, right? Yes. My term is actually just going to be ending now, um, somewhere around the end of the month into February. I'll be done. Wow. Well, thank, my, thank my you for your service. Term. Oh, I thank you. You know, and, and I'm very proud of my term. It's quite a notable one. Um, you know, our New York chapter was founded in 1990. And my term was actually, I actually was the first female president uh, of the chapter. That's awesome. And, um, you know, I'm excited to have had that notable title. And it's just been um, a great experience. You know, again, I've been involved with the board of that chapter for many years, and it was a great uh, progression. Um, and, you know, we achieved amazing things um, during my presidency that I'm really proud of. And we've also made great connections, grew our membership. Um, all of that. So it's, it's just amazing and, and had great events, great conferences, um, regular events, which we'll continue to do under the next leadership. Um, so I encourage anyone that's in, especially in the New York area and, or if you travel to the New York area, do business there, um, vacation there, you know, come, come join us at a right. local event. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, had the privilege to, to speak at your conference in October last year and, uh, it was awesome. I mean, uh, the, the different types of people you brought in to talk was, was great. I mean, there was just something for everybody. And that's, that's really what you want to do when you put a conference together. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later because you've, you've done conferences a few times and you've got uh, a little bit of experience. So, Yes, absolutely. In connection with the organization, um, I was training director for four years uh, prior to becoming president. So I had a, had a little bit of experience running conferences during that time. I've been involved in the planning and preparation of, uh, and management of, of about 10 of them. So wow. Far. That's, <laughs> I've done, uh, I think I've done about four or five on my, uh, on my end. 10 is impressive because <laughs> it's a challenge. It really is a challenge to put that together. So, um, all right. So we're going to jump out and take a quick break. When we come back, I want to dive in a little more with regards to CFE and the type of cases that CFA would work on. And I know we had, we're discussing some examples and some, some things you've actually done for me in the past, uh, a couple of assignments that uh, I farmed out to you to have you handle, and then uh, a couple on your own. So we're going to jump out real quick and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new book, The Art of Investigation. Make sure you check out Matt's chapter on energy. Join Matt and the other authors on January 30th at the Mysterious Bookshop in New York City, 6.30 p.m. for a book signing. Details are in the show notes. And we are back here on PI Perspectives. Uh, this is Matt, and I'm joined here today by Chelsea Bins, a certified fraud examiner, a professor at John Jay College, and a licensed private investigator, and an author, which we're going to cover that too. So welcome back, Chelsea. How are you? Let's dive into the certified fraud examiner. Uh, talk to me about uh, some cases. Give me uh, give me two cases here that you thought were, were interesting where 
uh, a certified fraud examiner was needed to get to the bottom of what uh, what was going on? Sure, absolutely. Um, so my specialty in the area of investigation uh, over the years, although I did many types of investigations, um, I focused primarily on background checks. And I will say with background checks, and that's one thing that you learn over the years, um, and it's good for new investigators to keep this in mind getting started, that there is no such thing really as a routine background check. Um, so it's good to go into all of them with a very open mind for what you might find. And, and though I will say most uh, checks that you do do end up uh, quite routine in nature, but there were a few surprises. Um, so I have a couple examples I could share. Um, I guess in one case, uh, you know, again, routine but not routine background check um, on someone that was interested in doing a business transaction in the financial industry. And I learned that he had purchased a Porsche and set it on fire. Wow. Yes. Uh, it was very difficult to have found. Um, I actually, my digging had turned into, it all started with a, a small article that I had found in a local paper. Right. Um, and once I found that article that discussed this issue, I was that led me down a path where I was able to find the official documentation that, that backed up the story. But what I did learn was that this individual, um, he had, you know, apparently it was a, an insurance-related scheme. Right. Um, he, I guess, had gotten over in over his head with the Porsche, and uh, you know, the payments were quite expensive. I will say. Um, and, but what he had done was he had parked his car in a commuter lot, uh, at the train, which was not the norm for him. Apparently he did not commute or take the train. Um, but that day he had other things in mind besides commuting. Um, so he had parked his Porsche there. He actually within walking distance had gone and gotten a gas can and gas and then had gone to another location and asked for matches. Um, and this was all later wow. pieced together. Yes. Um, so these were sort of the sightings of him, if you will. Wow. And then, you know, later on, um, you know, subsequent to this, the Porsche was found ablaze. Wow. Um, and so what was it, know, uh, was it lit in the commuter lot or, or did he bring it somewhere else? Yes, it was lit in the commuter lot. Um, and it was lucky that, you know, they, they caught it very quickly before it did catch other cars on fire, man. That could be a big yes. problem. <laughs> it could have led to something very serious and dangerous. Um, you know, anytime you have fire, it's unpredictable. Right. So, um, so those cases are, you know, those persons are usually punished uh, quite sternly right. when something like that happens. The, the, um, the, the Porsche was lit, no pun intended. The Porsche was lit. <laughs> right. It was. It was lit, um, yes. And yeah, yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, again, that example of a seemingly routine case that right. took a turn. Wow, that, that is crazy interesting. Uh, I, I actually learned uh, that that wasn't the first time he had had it, an incident involving a luxury car, although that was the first incident involving fire that I found. But wow. he did have a background with trouble with another luxury car, too. So. Wow. Hopefully no one gives him one in the future. Yeah. Going yeah. Especially, right. We don't, especially parking in uh, commuter lots. You don't lose any other vehicles. No, it's a real danger. That's crazy. There was one case actually that you had done some work for me on. I had been uh, contacted by the, the pastor at my church. He held a um, high ranking position 
nationally with the, the church's denomination, and there was somebody who was applying to be a um, like a money manager. And we're talking about a lot of money because they, they were talking to him about managing their retirement funds for like all the pastors of this denomination within the United States. And we're talking hundreds of uh, millions of dollars here. So they wanted to do a background. He came to me and, you know, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a CFE. I, I can do a background check, but not like that. At that point, I said, OK, I got to hand it off to somebody I know who's got banking background and does background checks. And I contacted you. And uh, you, you dove in on this thing, and, and man, the stuff you came back with it was uh, it was interesting. This guy had a shady past. Uh, I think he had been suspended before, or or, uh, or something, where he had lost his uh, his the ability to actually do financing. He had to, like take a, a timeout for a couple of years. And uh, I remember when I brought it back to my pastor, you know, he, he called him out on it. So he called the guy up and he said, "You want to explain this?" Because you know, he wasn't just going to say we're not going to do business. It's like we came across this. Please explain yourself. And the guy got super defensive and uh, never heard from him again. So it's a. Uh, well, I remember this case, and this was actually, uh, with that, he was actually barred in the from the industry. Right, right. And I couldn't believe that he was applying to do the same type of work somewhere else. But again, right. I do believe it because this has been known to happen. Right. But I, wow, that was amazing that we were able to catch that before something bad happened. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, they were very appreciative of the work that you had had done. So that was uh, that was awesome. So, all right. So um, let's move on a little bit. And let's talk about uh, your passion for writing because you've you've put a couple of books out there. The first one was Fraud Hotlines, right? Or did you do something before that? Yes, the first one. They're both with the same publisher, mm -hmm. um, CRC Press, under Taylor and Francis. Right. group. Um, but the first one was on the subject of fraud hotlines. So it's called Fraud Hotlines Design, Performance, and Assessment. And oh. the second one is The Art of Investigation. Right. So tell me a little bit about fraud hotlines. Like what, what exactly is that and why is there a need to, to um, uh, I guess, investigate? I guess the hotlines are people calling in like whistleblower type stuff. Is that, that how that works? Yes. Yes. So fraud hotlines, also known as ethics lines or um, many other names. Um, so those are anonymous reporting lines um, that exist in, well, they're required in every public company um, and many other companies and, and other entities such as nonprofits, et cetera, also use them as a matter of best practices, you know, again, as a way of anonymously receiving uh, tips from the public um, about any fraud and or other issues that might be occurring in the workplace or in a place that someone knows about. So they might be a third party uh, making a report. Okay. Um, and I became fascinated, fascinated with fraud hotlines when around the time that I became a certified fraud examiner, um, because around that time and from the educational materials, when I was studying for the exam, et cetera, you know, I learned that hotlines were the number one way that fraud is caused. Okay. And so that led me to look, deeper into hotlines themselves. And I became fascinated when I learned that, you know, not a lot of people report in the samples that I looked at. So that really fascinated me. So around 2007, when I started my PhD program, that became my primary research interest. And I've been studying them ever since. Um, and a lot of that work that I started in 2007 forward, um, you know, culminated in the work that appears um, in my book. So what do you think motivates people to actually become a whistleblower? You know, that's, it's really tough to say, and I think it's different for everyone. Right. Um, you know, I think people are motivated by 
you know, many different ways. Uh, you know, it's said that some people are motivated based on the reward given by the tip line, if any, um, to report. Um, that's why it's believed perhaps that in some cases where there are not many tips, perhaps it's because that person is not rewarded. Right. Um, and a lot of times when someone reports, they feel as though they've been retaliated against. Right. And that's a very concerning issue. So sometimes that, uh, you know, stops their motivation from reporting because they think about how, you know, they have a lot to lose that that person has their job at stake. You know, they're seeing something in their workplace environment and they're wondering, you know, I, I could say something, but, you know, I've heard in the news and I've heard what's happened in other organizations when someone reports next thing, it's supposed to be anonymous, but the next thing you know, they're not working there anymore. <laughs> not so anonymous anymore, right? <laughs> um, and terrible. so, you know, it is, and sometimes, you know, it's explained away as other causes, but, you know, it right. does give people pause. Right. Um, and so, I know that a lot of people are also, they're motivated by altruism, right? They want to do the right thing. Right. You want to do the right thing and report. And that's why many people do come forward despite the fact that they know that they must it again. Um, you know, they do have an interest in justice. They do have an interest in fighting fraud. But, you know, again, the cases that come out there that do uh, relate to the public that there could be repercussions for reporting are very concerning. Um, because it does serve to stifle that motivation that someone may have to come forward. Right. So would you say that um, these companies that have these hotlines, do they bring in outside third parties to come in and investigate these claims or is it usually held uh, or handled internally? Yeah. So hotlines are managed in several ways. Um, they can be either managed internally or externally or a combination of both. A lot of really large companies, especially uh, we'll use a third-party provider because the provider offers a plethora of services for them, uh, including 24-hour lines, um, reporting in many different manners, you know, email, fax, phone call, web form, you name it. Um, some have text reporting now even, and in multiple languages, um, along with an 800 number that people can call in any area of the world. Um, so that's kind of the highest end, if you will, of of hotline management. And then you may have your, a local, let's say a city or county government agency where they have, um, a very small team. Um, I would argue in some cases too small where I found right, it's right, just right. maybe one person. Um, and that's not good for best practices, but I have seen it on that level. Um, so, and, and anything in between. So are these typically, um, like security management companies that come in and do this third party work or, or the investigators, like what, what is that third party, um, company typically? Yeah. Look like? So there's a couple of providers. There's a few big players in the industry, one or two that really tend to dominate most of the industry. Um, and then there's a couple of smaller providers, um, as well. And then internally, it's usually a function of either legal or compliance. Um, or corporate security investigations or something of that nature. Right, right. That's real cool. So we're going to have um, a link to that book in the show notes. So if anyone was interested in, in learning more about this, uh, they'll have the ability to go take a look and, and grab that book and uh, and read it. Yeah, it's really a, a great resource for anyone, especially right. that wants to learn more about the anonymous reporting process and their organization that plans to develop their own hotline that's sure. interested in 
refining um, their current hotline uh, because I talk a lot about how to set up a hotline from the ground up. Um, I talk about best practices. Right. Um, and my book is the only single source of that information in terms of, of book materials that I'm aware of. So it's really, really helpful um, to those people for that reason. You have, um, you otherwise, have, it's, you've it's cornered- a lot of work to get all of this information that I've right. compiled. You know, since 2007, it's nice to have it in one package. Yeah, I was going to say you uh, you cornered the market. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's again, it's an area that I'm really passionate about. Um, and, you know, I hope that this book helps people that, that need it. Um, Great. You know, again, to help, um, you know, their own hotlines perhaps function better. Right, right. Okay, so we're going to move on to the art of investigation. That is the most recent book that uh, you, you had collaborated with uh, Bruce Sackman and uh, I think of 15 authors. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Tell so, me a little bit about that, how that all came together and uh, what that book looks like. Yeah. So the art of investigation. So this again was an idea that I had um, and, and I, I didn't see this really out there in, in the marketplace where, and this is during a time where, I started teaching more classes um, at the college level and investigations. And I thought, you know, not a lot here is, you know, from the current text, which are great. Um, but there wasn't a lot there on the qualities of a great investigator. Instead, a lot of the texts out there were more on, you know, how to write reports, how to conduct surveillance, things of that nature, which, you know, of course are important. Um, but, you know, it really all, a lot of it to me anyway, comes down to those, inherent qualities within an investigator that, you know, can be um, born or can also be cultivated and how those really are what I've found in my career, um, separate the investigators that are good from the great ones. And, you know, I really thought this would be a great, um, you know, both students of investigation um, for new investigators and for seasoned investigators alike. You know, I really think that, everyone will get something out of this. And it's because it focuses on the qualities of great investigators, um, as opposed to, again, uh, being, you know, more of a how to do X, Y, or Z. Um, and we have, what we did was, uh, we brought 15 authors together who each took a quality of a great investigator and gave, um, their take on it, right. How, that quality has helped them in their investigative work and then actually told a story or a set of stories, um, case studies, if you will, about how uh, they exercise that quality to an amazing investigative outcome. Yeah, that's, that's great. So like how did, who decided on what those 15 qualities were? Is that something you and Bruce kind of brainstormed together? Like what didn't make the list? I'm curious. Yeah. So I it really, you know, as an academic um, and an investigator, both. So I went to the literature. Um, so uh, much of them are a collaboration of what was in the existing literature and then also what I found um, and who found in our experience to be true. Yeah, that, that's great. I, um, I'm, I know I, I think I should have my copy within the next day or two. I, and I know we're having a, a book signing coming up on the 30th of January. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Let's get the information out there. Yes, we are. Um, so we're really excited about that because we're going to have most of our authors there at that signing, uh, which is very unique since there's so many of us and, and uh, some of them are international. We have a number 
of us that will be there. Um, and that's at uh, the Mysterious Bookshop at 58 Warren Street in New York City. Um, and that's January 30 at 6.30. 6.30, great. So if you're in the New York area, I encourage you to come down and meet everybody. Um, I know I'll be there. Um, we'll be, uh, we're, we're actually going to try and do a, a podcast episode prior uh, while we have all these uh, great authors in the room, just trying to give a few minutes to everybody to say hello and, and talk about their experience. Um, yeah, I've, I've, oh, I've, it's going to be great. I've read a couple of the, uh, of the pieces in there. I haven't got a chance to read everything yet. Um, I, I should have my copy soon. I'm going to do my best to, <laughs> to have it all read before I get there. Uh, time is becoming of the essence, so I got to get to work here, but, uh, that's cool. I'm looking forward. Well, to I've read it as the, as the lead editor, I've read it many, many times. I right. will tell you, and it's incredible. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the editor. It is just, there's what is so amazing about it is there's, so many unique perspectives um, from so many preeminent investigators across the globe. And each, even though I gave uh, the authors a bit of a guide on sort of how to write their chapter, I kept it really fluid um, because I did want their individual personalities and investigative style to come out. And it really does. It really, really does. And everyone has um, interjected their own bits of advice, things that they've learned over the years. I mean, there's, hundreds of years of collective experience within this book. Right. Um, and, and so everyone has something so great to add and almost everyone works in a different area of investigation, which is so incredible. Um, and so we have missing person cases, workplace investigation cases, wrongful convictions, uh, hostage negotiation, um, creating a PI business, uh, which you talk about in your chapter on energy right. and, there's just really something for everyone and, and everyone's going to walk away um, from this with a good feeling and sort of renewed interest in their investigative work and, you know, a little more hope for the future um, about how, you know, the different skills, again, that can be honed to really bring out the best in all of their investigative work. Yeah. And I, I think it's so cool that you did pull so many different investigators from different areas. I mean, I'm, I'm totally excited to read it. You know, uh, I was gonna, just going to crack a joke that, hey, you know, your favorite chapter is energy, but uh, you, beat me, you beat me to the punch here on it. So. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm very familiar with that chapter. I think, it, I think it's okay. It, it'll do all right. Oh, well, it's such an excellent contribution, again, because, you know, you really delve into how someone can create their own PI business from the ground up, right. but in such a way that you, you discussed your um, unique story about building your own PI business, um, which is really an inspiration because obviously you're such a success and it just gives a nice, it has a nice instructional quality to it without being instructional right. um, because you're just telling your story. Well, um, but it's such a great one. I had a great editor. It may have been edited a few times, uh, <laughs> but it all worked out. I appreciate that. And I, I actually, um, I'm going to be on John Hoda's podcast. We recorded already. Uh, should be coming out in March, I think, where he, he you had given him a, an advanced copy of it. And we uh, we talk in detail about all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I mean, listen, I appreciate the opportunity of being included in the room with all those other people. <laughs> You know, it's one of those, uh, you know, I'm not worthy type of uh, situations, but uh, <laughs> it was definitely cool. Well, so, it's definitely, well, yourself included, but it's definitely yeah. a who's who of investigators. There's no question about totally. that. Yeah, and no, um, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled to be a part of that. And all, all joking aside, it was an incredible honor to, 
to uh, to be in that. Yes. Yes. And uh, we're actually already looking forward to doing the next one. Right. I heard. Yes, you're, you're doing a second edition. I heard that's that's awesome. So, again, we'll have all the information for both the book signing and the book in the show notes so folks can take a look. So before we wrap up here, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, conferences. We had talked a little bit earlier uh, about putting together conferences. Uh, explain to me uh, in a few minutes here, like what um, what that looks like. How do you get started and uh, how do you find your speakers? How do you decide on your content? Um, what, what gets the ball rolling on these things? What do you, how do you approach uh, scheduling a conference? Yes. So, well, yeah, finding the great date. It all starts with a great date, um, and that can be a bit of an art to it in itself. Um, you know, what's a good time of year? What's a time that doesn't conflict with other priorities that people may have, you know, looking at the holiday counter, et cetera? Um, I think, you know, having the, the right conference at the right time is really important, but then also having a theme that really resonates with people and making sure that your speakers tie back to that theme um, in some way is also really important because it really gives the event a nice focus. Um, and then, of course, uh, going back to speakers, having the best speakers that you can get, um, are, are though they are the conference. Um, they really make it right. for you. Um, so making sure that you get the best talent that you can get and of course, here in New York City, we have no shortage of incredible talent. Um, so that has really helped quite a lot. Um, so I'm able to draw from that and get just some really um, incredible people at the events that I've had in the past. Oh yeah, when um, you uh, and, when you had James yeah. uh, uh, from CNN. Oh my goodness, that guy was amazing. What, what's his last name? Is Cagliano or something? I think. Is it, oh, is that James Cagliano. Yeah. He's also one of the authors in oh, the Art of Investigation. God, that guy is like. I, I, I was like, I followed him. So I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this guy is full of so much energy. Like I'm going to lay an egg here. <laughs> but uh, oh, he yes. was great. He's yeah. incredible. Yeah, he's a good he's dude. incredible. Definitely a good um, dude. Yes. Uh, so again, having those great speakers um, is just critical because as you said, that resonated with you. Yeah. Um, and then when you see him again, it's a draw um, to come back. Um, yeah. and we actually had him twice for that reason. And people were real excited to see him again. Yeah. I would love to have him on this program. Actually. I, I, I started laying the groundwork for that. We'll see how much traction I get, but he was uh, a really uh, interesting. Yeah, fellow. Well, yeah. Let me see what I can do. Yeah. You may know somebody, right? <laughs> you may know yeah. somebody who knows somebody. <laughs> well, you know, also having a great venue is really important. And right. we've been so lucky yeah. to have been able to have so many conferences at John Jay, which, you know, of course we have, state-of-the-art uh, facility, an incredible meeting room um, where people are comfortable. We have great technology um, and it's uh, very, you know, accessible to people um, in terms of being, you know, very, you know, in the heart of Midtown. And, yeah. that, and then I think that really helps out too. Yeah, you know, Having a place where people can access easily and be comfortable totally. and, and enjoy themselves. Totally. Even having um, the Fordham Law School right next door and being able to tag on, on to Fordham as well. Um, is something that, that I've noticed you've done a few times and it's great. You know, it's like John Jay College and Fordham Law School. So um, it's, yes, been, uh, it's been great. Yeah, yeah, really, uh, really good. So you had to get one more John Jay plug in there before we finish. That was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're very short. I just short. couldn't help it. It just came naturally. <laughs> I recommend that you get a raise immediately. <laughs> you're doing some free marketing here. Thank you so much for your uh, for your time today. Tell folks how they can get a hold of you if they have any questions or uh, or any uh, comments or anything. I'm on LinkedIn, so I encourage you to find me there. 
Right. Um, I love, I, I enjoy using LinkedIn and I love connecting with people on there. So um, people can uh, look for me there and also, or you can email me, um, cbinns at jj.cuny.edu. Great. Great. Okay. So we're going to have a lot of information in the show notes too. So Chelsea, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you in a, a couple of weeks at the book signing. And uh, we're obviously going to get the word out about that and keep, uh, keep going here. So in fact, I think you're, this episode is going to air uh, a few days before the, the book signing. So if you're listening to this episode and you don't have anything to do on the 30th, please come out and support. And it's going to be a great night. We're going to have a lot of fun there. So thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Okay. Oh, thank you, Matt. All right. Thanks so much. Have a good day, everyone. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks for checking out this episode. We thank Chelsea for taking the time away from her teaching schedule to join us. Be sure to join her and Matt on January 30th at the Mysterious Bookshop for her book signing event. Details in the show notes. A special thank you to The Art of Investigation and Satellite Investigations for sponsoring this episode. Next week, we get back to training. This time, Matt welcomes New York attorney Leo Vrianides to discuss some mistakes investigators make when working with law firms. Have a great week, and thanks for downloading and subscribing to PI Perspectives.